0: Hey folks, welcome back to the Career Love Podcast. Welcome to episode four and thanks for joining me. I hope you're having a fantastic time, whatever you're doing. This is the final episode of our interview with Alan Coleman and it's full of great stuff. We are going to pick back up again with Alan in just a few moments. As always, if you have tuned in to earlier episodes and heard me explain what career love is and how to use it to get the best out of your career, and you don't want to hear me tell it again, just skip on ahead to about three and a half, maybe four minutes, to hear part four of my conversation with Alan Coleman. Right now is the part of the podcast where I welcome everyone, especially new listeners to the Career Love community. I created this podcast because I absolutely believe that you deserve to love what you do and navigating the workforce can be very tough and many of us do so feeling alone and unsupported. Career Love is here to help you. So come on in, grab a comfy chair, make yourself at home. We are all here to learn about what works when trying to build meaningful careers. This is a safe moment to share with other people like you. Career Love's mission is to help more and more people love what they do. And this podcast is one part of our framework for doing that. I'm just going to take a minute or so to explain the other parts of the framework so you can get the best out of your Career Love experience. Okay, so we produce three things at Career Love research, scorecard, and shows. We undertake research so that we can bring you evidence based insights. We want to find out what really works and bring you good quality information. We package up those insights into research papers so if you want the good info on how to become someone who loves what they do check out our research yearbook you can get that from the website now careerlog.org. completely free and when I say free completely free you don't have to enter your email address to get it and then pray that we're not going to bombard you with uh, rubbish emails every day for the rest of your life it's just free you can just have it One thing we do with our research is benchmark career fulfillment. We apply a scoring methodology to our assessment that goes out to our research subjects and that allows us to create some helpful tools for you guys. We put all the tools in our scorecard section and you can go to our website now and take the personal assessment and get your scorecard to see how you're doing in each of the five dimensions of career fulfillment You can compare your results to other people like you, people with the same age, gender, location and industry profile. And this is going to help you highlight the areas to put your attention to. And most importantly, which ones to focus on right now to start getting better results. Under the scorecard section for helpful tools, we also have our playbook, which gives you some recommended actions in each of those five focus areas. So you can really make a running start at getting your career on track towards a meaningful and enjoyable life of work. And lastly, we produce our shows. And this podcast is the very first of our shows. We're currently developing a video show that we'll release later this year. And the idea behind shows is that while data and insights from research is one thing and personalized recommendations are also good, To really get a deeper understanding of how to apply these concepts in your own career, it helps to hear how other people are doing it. And we all learn best through stories, so our shows are intended to bring you inspiring and insightful career stories so that we can all start to synthesize the dynamics at play. We want to understand how people who love what they do approach and organize their working lives, what they prioritize, what they avoid, so that we can start to get a bit of confidence about making some changes in how we approach and organize our own careers. And my hope is that people will hear even just one little nugget of insight from one of our guests and be inspired to try something new for themselves and get on the path to designing a career that fits you and your life perfectly. Uh, And guys, we are going to find a little bit of that here in this next episode, part four, of my conversation with Alan. In the last episode, we heard Alan talking about the importance of identifying clear success measures and persevering through disruption and hardship and other threats to stay in the game even when it all seems lost. In this episode, we're going to hear how Alan grows his business and starts to generate some of the success that Wolfgang Digital is known for today. I want you to pay close attention to Alan describing how he and his team stay aligned to their values as they grow, sometimes in absolutely hilarious fashion. And finally, how Alan uses the power of his success with Wolfgang to drive environmental impact with Wolfgang Forestry. This, guys, is a truly inspiring story for anyone interested in using their professional experience to create a positive impact in their community, or indeed in our society, I hope you enjoy this fourth and final episode of my interview with Alan. Let's get stuck into it. You've done some pretty interesting things. Can I ask you about the online sex shop?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anybody read the Four Hour Workweek? Tim Ferriss. I, I yeah. yeah, and you know, and you guys familiar with it? Yeah, if you're familiar. Okay, so whenever was that? I was like, fucking, I don't know, twenty eleven or something. So I read the book, and I was there. Automated businesses, like the whole digital marketing part, like we're expert at that. So, if we, so the four-hour work week is for those of you who haven't read it. It's just this notion that you can create a company um, that's automated. That kind of. And you only have to work four hours a week. The company just, you know, you set up your processes and it looks after itself. And ultimately what he's saying is, and this, there was lots of people, this used to work, and um, probably still works for, for really smart people, but you drop ship a product. So you'd set up a website, it might be like whiteboards.ie, okay? And back in 2012, if you owned the domain whiteboards.ie, you were top of Google. So then what you do is you, you find a dropshipper, so you find someone who stocks, who's a warehouse who has them, but will deliver direct to your customer. Um, so you can dropship, you can get whiteboards.ie, you can you know, SEO it, do some AdWords, get it to the top of Google, people come to the website, 1% of them buy, the order goes directly to the, the warehouse, the dropshipper, another company, Um, and they deliver direct to the the customer. And the customer pays you and you pay them a cut. So that's drop shipping, And that was kind of what a lot of the four hour work week was about was how you automate a business to do exactly that. So I was thinking this e-commerce thing must be easy. (laughs) Uh, We should definitely do do one of these. So I gave the the team a, a criteria. We said like, we looked at a few things. We looked at toys you know, Christmas. We looked at iPhone cases, um, um, which would have been a good choice actually because those have become huge. We looked at coffee pods, it was the dawn of the Nespresso. And then because we looked at kids' toys, we said, well, let's look at, you know, sex toys, adult toys as well. Um, So I gave them a criteria and the criteria was like average order volume, search volume on Google, um, competitive index. So I gave people, you know, likelihood to buy online because we didn't want to be spending money on clicks that people were then going to go and buy in a shop. And sex toys just came out on top. And um, so we said, right, well, we should do this. And I was him and I said, you know, this is a bit risky. And um, clients mightn't like this. So uh, let's just do this privately. Um, the reasons we're doing it is number one, we're just all curious about running an you know, an e-commerce store. Two, this is going to be fun now, because it's sex toys. Um, Three, it's going to be training, because we were beginning to hire people at that stage. And we were a small organization, so we didn't really have much of a training resource. It was Ed, and he'd be busy. Um, So we said, well, look, if we had our own website, we could literally say, there's 500 euro a month. Sell as many dildos as you can. Tell us what you learn.'" (laughs) And um, that's what we did. That was was training, like, literally. and the other reasons we did it was to walk a mile in our customers' shoes to feel that the pain points that, that, our, that our e-commerce clients were feeling. Um, so, yeah, so we went from idea to first sale. We sold a dildo to a lady and Claire in about three weeks. Like on that moment in the office where we made that first sale, we were like, <laughs> this is amazing, like this works. You know, this go is go on, Jeanette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be huge. This could be bigger than the digital marketing business. And it was just so exciting. Um, we got in there together in a really short space of time. Um, and so what did we learn? Like There were so many great stories. We weren't making money off it. We were breaking even. And then if we were to pay the tax, which we did, like the VAT, once we realized, oh, we had to pay VAT in this as well, we were like, all right, this doesn't make money, but it's still worth doing. Um, um, so we were doing it, and we got an email from someone saying, I was going to, to shop with you, but you've no phone number on it, you've no address, it's just a bit snaky, so I didn't. So we, put our, we got a, a new phone number, we got a phone in, it was the sex line, um, <laughs> and we put our address on the website, and the way it was, the sex line would rotate around the office, so every week it moved in front of you, um, and it was priceless, like when that thing rang, and it'd ring once or twice a day, everyone would just stop what they're doing, they're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the questions you'd get, like you get, um, you know, some genuine, like, really people, you know, interested in certain toys and what they do. Um, you get some guys, oh, I don't, can't get it delivered to my house. My wife's really holy. Will you meet me in a car park in Wicklow? Um, you've people saying, Help, I've got one stuck up my ass. I don't know what to do. Like, I think they were crank calls, but you get all those as well. It was very, very funny. Um, I was at the Web Summit and. Uh, I was at some, I was speaking at it that year, so I was at the speaker's dinner and everyone was really excited. And this guy runs up to me, he's there, I just met the most amazing guy, you won't believe what he do, does. And He took out his phone and showed me a photo of an electric device. He said, do you know what that is? And I was there, yeah, that's the WeVibe 2. <laughs> he's said, what the fuck? And <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had lots of great stories from it. So after like uh, some time passes there, we've learned a lot and um, we understand our clients better and uh, we have so many funny stories, I really should, we really should come out of the closet and uh, publish our stories here. So I wrote a blog post on it, um, on, yeah, why we, we decided to open an online sex shop. And uh, within a week, The Guardian published it as the as title why, so I tell the story of feeling all our customers' pain points, um, but lots of jokes and funny stories lobbed in as well and The Guardian published it as why every digital agency should run their own sex shop. So it was amazing and because no one else would, we kind of, we have this saying now about being bold, like if there's ever an opportunity to be a bit bold, like if there's a risk, like just take it. And every now and then we will go too far, but we only know that we're taking risks if sometimes we go, oh shit, I went too far. And it's very much become part of our identity to be a bit bold, to like, you know, have a go competitors Um, and to do ridiculous things. Um, In fact, it became a vehicle for that then, the sex shop. So we got in a brand battle with one of our competitors. So they were bidding on our brand, we were bidding on theirs. Um, And he rang the office really irate, the guy, and um, really berated uh, one of my team who answered the phone and said things like, you know, if you want to go to war, I'll go to war, and this kind of stuff. So I was a bit like a red, rag to a bull to me so I said, okay all right let's go to And so i went to our creative team and i said i want you to design the gnarliest looking man-on-man strap-on you can possibly think of <laughs> like terrible looking and uh, <laughs> google had just changed its spelling policy so if you misspelled a brand you were searching for it would still show you their ad so i took his company's name i stuck a letter in So his company was something like DPFOC and I turned them into the Dipfuck. And I called (laughs) this vibrator the Dipfuck and I SEO'd the shit out of it. And then anyone who went Googling for his brand started seeing ads for a man on man vibration (laughs) strap-on. So people were like, I can't believe we're doing this. And oh Jesus, do we need are we really gonna are we really gonna do this? And the ad was live about six hours. When the phone rings, and it's a director of Google, like, and I've never spoken to a director of Google before at this stage, and you are like, Alan, hi. So yeah, and they're like, so, we had a really strange complaint in the last few minutes. Uh, There's a company in Cork who claim uh, you're doing something very, very strange. And I say, yeah? and she's like, Yeah, I just, what I'd ask you to do, and she's giving me an out here, she's like, What I'd ask you to do is just go and talk to your team about uh, this kind of sex shop stuff and see who's done what there. And I said, like, Oh, yeah, I'll go talk to the team.
0: <laughs> hey, gang, just a quick break here to talk about the five dimensions of career fulfillment and where they came from. So, in our first ever research study, which was at the beginning of 2020, just before COVID turned all their lives upside down. We uncovered these five dimensions of career fulfilment. These are the things that people who scored highest for career fulfilment focus on when it comes to developing their careers. So let me tell you what they are. We start with fun. Pretty self-explanatory. Work should be fun. And even if you don't have what you might describe as a fun job, you can still do things every day to cultivate a sense of fun in your work. Then we have adaptive. Adaptive careers are flexible. They adapt when you need them to. This means having more control over when, where, and how you work, so that when your personal priorities change, you don't feel trapped in a situation that no longer works for you because of your job. And then we have transformative. As we say here at Career Love, no one starts their career in their prime to develop the skills, attributes and qualities that are needed to fully reach our potential. That requires personal transformation. Using your career as a platform to test and challenge yourself, to build resilience and develop finely tuned skills is what transformative careers are all about. Then we have social. And that is all about harnessing the power of social connections at work. We all know about the happiness studies that tell us belonging to a community and having close friendships and family connections that help us feel supported and valued are vital. And this is most certainly true for happiness at work too. And then meaningful. Knowing that your work has some value, that it has a positive impact on people's lives in a way that makes you feel good. Meaningful is also about finding a connection between the work you do and your unique set of strengths and capabilities. I like to describe meaningful careers as a truly great fit. And if you've ever had an outfit that felt super comfortable while also making you look your best, you know, drawing attention away from those non-flattering bits and highlighting all your best parts, you know what I'm talking about. So if you want to see how you're scoring in each of these five areas, and to find out which one to start working on first, jump on over to the careerlove.org website and take the assessment and if you find the scorecard helpful and fancy getting some tailored recommendations on what to do next you can request your free playbook and we'll email it to you okay back to the interview
1: but apparently like to be a fly on the wall in google like the phone rang he's not a bad guy he's he's a good guy and they're good they're good at what they do Um, but anyway, I'll tell the story uh, truthfully. So the phone rang, and uh, apparently he hit the wall, hit the roof, and there was a trainee in Google on the phone as well. So there was someone sitting beside him. The phone rings. How you doing? Said, "Yo, Driscoll here from Cora. Wolfgang Digital invented a dill downer advertising of my brand, and the person in Google was like, "What the fuck is this? Is this real?" And. Uh, the, the other Googlers are like, oh, we're going to have to see what this is And they traced it. They could trace the ad back to an account that was associated with us. So I just kind of like said, oh. But the Googlers actually loved this for us for it. Like, Although the director was like saying, you're going to have to, with the people in Google, all of a sudden we went from, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of plucky, they're nice, and they're good at what they do to like, that is brilliant. Um, but the consequence of that was he took me to the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland. Um, and what most people do when they get taken there is they just ignore it and they just let it happen and you get found against and it gets published and it's in the news and so forth. I was there kind of going, I kind of feel, I felt guilty because I did, it was a bit kind of bullying. Um, I felt guilty and on that basis I was there, I'm gonna interact with these guys and I'm gonna answer their questions and comply uh, with the case. Um, so they were saying, look, you're accused of inventing a fictitious product uh, to like besmirch someone else. And I said, no, what we're actually doing is, have you read the four hour work week? So this is what you do is before you actually launch a product or go into design design it, you just, uh, you advertise it and if people like, show demand, then you go into production. So we were just doing that. Like and I sent them a link to the four-hour work week and everything. And I said, Google changed the policy on misspellings. Like, how was it? I to know? That had just happened and I sent them the link to that. Um and I ended up getting found guilty not of this, the the real stuff I'd done, but I was ended up found guilty of advertising for sale a product I didn't have in stock. Um, <laughs> and when it happened I write this is going to become a story. I might as well put a bit of personality into it. Um, So I wrote an apology and once once that had all happened, I did get in touch with Eddie and I said, look, I'm sorry. I didn't want to apologise to him while the case was ongoing because I didn't want it to seem like, please stop the case. I was like, once the case is wrapped up, I'll go and I'll genuinely apologise and I gave some money to a charity of his choice and that. Um, But I wrote an apology as well um, and just said, look, digital marketing dance off, you know, battle of the brands, (laughs) we're passionate. I overstepped the mark, shouldn't have done it. and then i did tip off an irish times journalist to the apology um and it got featured it was it was an East, it was either good friday or an easter monday i think it was a good friday when the business supplement comes out so it's one of those days where no one goes to work or and everyone's just reading the newspaper and the most read article in the irish times business section that good friday was online ad agency boss forced to apologize for sex toy ad in digital marketing dance-off. Who's like, <laughs> not gonna read that article? Um, but so I was really embarrassed, like I lost a lot of sleep over that, but at the end I said, look, that's just me been me, and that's just us been us, and yeah, we're a little bit bold, and it's a bit cheeky, and there's an element of, n- not nastiness, but prickliness to it, but I was there, that's us been us. So I asked our clients, ultimately, I'd lost quite a bit of sleep about it, um, so I did I did a survey, I had a client event like this, and the client's in the room, and I told them the story, I told them the story from the beginning to the end, um, i even told them how i used a google extension review so the first sentence in the irish times article was uh, one of ireland's leading online ad agencies so i took that snippet and stuck it in an ad text uh, that it said you know if anyone searched digital marketing we had like one of Ireland's, Irish Times, one of Ireland's leading digital marketing agencies. So we even managed to find that silver lining in the, in the article. <laughs> um, but I told the clients the story, and I was like, right, so, and I did a survey, like what you have up there, I was like, who thinks I overstepped the line? And about 30% of them, like, you went too far. But a good, like, 60-something percent said, you know what, that was, that was good marketing. Like, it's, it's you being you. And that's the difference between you and the other agencies out there. And I guess what I learned is we don't need, like, our market share is about 2%. So... We don't need everybody to like us. If 10% of the people like get us and see us as very different to everybody else and really like us and only want to do business with us, well, that's good enough. Um, That's more than good enough. So, and because I always target our communications towards our clients, I'm I'm not speaking to everybody in Ireland whenever I do any media. I'm specifically speaking to clients who have a relationship and know we're a bit bold. It means I can be a lot more brazen and a lot bolder in what I'm doing. And when I do go too far, I can say, I'm sorry, uh, I went too far there. But you did give me permission when you told me that uh, the the dip fuck thing was all right.
0: <laughs> so there is oh, There is so much rich stuff in there that lines up to, you know, some of the core principles mm-hmm. around creating a career that you can love. Right. So mm-hmm. one, having fun at work. Mm-hmm. Right. And then leveraging your strengths. But importantly, you know, we had a conversation in the room here earlier before we started the interview around purpose and uncovering, you know, getting to know yourself individually and what your core values are mm-hmm. and and what you are and what you aren't. Mm. And it sounds like you've not only done that at in an individual level, but that you've done it with the culture in your company mm-hmm. and you know what Wolfgang is and what it isn't. Yeah. And, and that's a big part then of knowing mm-hmm. you're confident, right? You can say, well, for us to keep Uh, having fun Mm -hmm. and doing the type of work that makes us proud and and what we can do. We need to take risks, you know, and we need to be a bit cheeky. We need to be a bit bold. And so, again, those are just so uh, incredibly important in terms of, you know, when I say these conversations are about shining the light on those examples, Mm -hmm. right? Um, you're, You're starting out, you know, washing dishes, and working in a fun factory, mm-hmm. by the time we meet, I'm working on a building site and you're working in a fruit and veggie shop. Yeah. But applying those principles has yeah. has worked, right? And that's the important thing I really want to highlight from from this story. Another quick break here to mention our social mission, a career love. We want to help as many people as possible avoid careers that feel like they're draining your energy and holding you back from a well lived life and create careers that give you energy and help you thrive. We think that for this to be the norm rather than the exception, there are some very important structural changes needed in the way that we approach work as a society. And so, as well as helping people get their hands on good quality information, we aim to highlight the ways in which the current system is broken and to change the game so that more and more people can love what they do. And i wanted to ask for your help there are a couple of key things that you can do to help us out that just take a couple of moments and don't cost any money right now the things that we're focused on are improving our tools and growing our audience so if you could share your experience with us and tell us how we can improve our scorecard and our playbook to make them more useful or work better for you i would love to get a message from you via our website there's a contact form at the bottom of the homepage at careerlove.org or you can go to any of our social pages on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn and send us a direct message there to tell us what you think. User experience feedback is the very best way for us to make sure we are producing content and tools that really help people in a positive way. And to help us grow our audience, you can do any of these things. You can leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Kind and positive reviews are very, very helpful. You can subscribe to the podcast and also follow us on our social pages, and you can tell your friends and your family about what we're up to. If you know someone who could benefit from what we're doing here, let them know about us. Okay, guys, talk to you soon. Back to the interview. With the few minutes that we have left, yeah. I want to hear a little bit about the forestry stuff because okay. I think that is the next evolution of, of you tapping into core values and mm. Can you tell us a bit about Wolfgang Forestry?
1: Yeah, so, how did this emerge? So, where did this even, so I was back there yesterday, right, so I can come full circle. So, I burnt out three years ago now, just my health was on the floor, uh, and just constant, 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 I I didn't know how to relax, didn't know how to relax. So one of the things I, I did to cope with burnout was, I now work a four day week, um, and it's brilliant. Like I've nine people on my leadership team, I'm not needed for any of the day-to-day anymore. And um, so, and and a big part of me being able to get there was saying, well, if I'm taking twenty percent out of my work week, I need to delegate a lot. Um, so I did that, and then in one of my uh, days off, it took me ages to get good. Like my first day off, I went to the beach, and. Uh, I sat down. I rolled out the towel. I lied down. I said, "This is uncomfortable." I dug a hole and made a pillow and lied down. and I said, "Okay, I prefer it over there." And I went over there and picked up a book. I said, "Fuck oh that!" Picked up a magazine. I was on the phone. Then I was like, "Go for a swim." And literally fifteen minutes passed, and I was I like, "I couldn't sit still." I said, "I don't know how to relax." So I understand how people like busy, busy, busy work life retire and they just collapse. They're like, "I don't know how to exist anymore." Um, so I learned to relax, and on one of my days off, I got big into podcasts because they're just a lovely relaxing way to spend the time. I was listening to—I was planning a holiday, so I was listening to George Hook on his Right Hook travel show, um, and I listened to all the exotic ones. And there was someone talking about holidays in Ireland, uh, Manchon McGann, and he was talking about trees. And this guy was just really excited about trees. He said, "You know, in Ireland's actually—you know—we're called a green little island. You know, we're actually um, the least forested country." In, in Europe, um, and I said, like, this is shocking, he said, we have actually some of Europe's most ancient woods, you know, Tumna down in, in Wicklow um, is one of the most ancient uh, oak woods in Europe, and, um, you know, he tells the story that all of Wicklow was, Ireland was all oak, but all of Wicklow was oak, and the British uh, chopped it down to build chips. so the, the British literally conquered the world on Irish oak. Um, because Ireland's got um, really good favorable conditions for growing trees. It's actually some of the best conditions in the world. There's trees that take like 160 years to mature in Scandinavia that grow, mature in 40 years. So we have phenomenal conditions for growing trees. So kind of the first thing that happened was, I guess, when I heard that we were only 1% forested, like I said, that's terrible. Like we need to, you know, we need to to fix that. And when I learned that we had, um, an unfair advantage when it comes to growing trees. The entrepreneur in me was enlivened. I was like, oh, this is I should really do this. Um, plant more trees. And then when I learned that the English had chopped them all down, like the, the Irish patriot in me was enlivened, I said, like, I'm definitely gonna plant some trees. Um, and I think then the next week when I had my day off, I hopped in the car, I went down to Tumlafiniga Woods, and I got lost running around. I was there, you know, it was magic and was wi- I was wild-eyed, and this is brilliant you know i I'd, I'd love to I'd love to get involved in planting trees, so I went back and we do a charity thing every three months we donate ten percent of our profits to charity, and people vote so every three months people can say people put forward charities and people vote, and then whoever put it forward gets to ring the charity and oftentimes someone's like their baby came early and was the nurses played a stormer and kept the baby in good health and all. And then they get to ring up that hospital. Their colleagues vote for the, the, the hospital. They get to ring up the hospital and say, oh, you know, you delivered my baby, kept, kept her alive and everything in difficult circumstances. I've seven grand for you. Um, so that's really meaningful for people. Um, but the numbers started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I said, it'd be cool if we had like an ongoing thing. So I put it over on the team. I, I kind of told them about forestry. And the thing oh yeah the thing the key thing here is climate change so i learned that when you boil it all down when it comes to climate change it seems insurmountable to any one of us like what do we do stop getting in our car like so it, it seems too. there's so many don't do's that are very transformational to to, to how we live but there's one do do and it's very simple it's plant trees like uh trees inhale carbon and the reason there's too much carbon in the air is because you've humanity and you forests like forests are the, earth, are the earth's lungs trees are the trachea branches are the bronchi and humanity is growing and forests are humanity exhales carbon dioxide forests inhale carbon dioxide so there was a cycle there but it's out of balance now because uh, humanity's gone this way and we're deforesting of course so there's figures that like there's even a number of trees we need to plant which will reverse climate change so as our company got bigger, there's like 56 people in there now, so our, our carbon footprint's quite large. I didn't even know what it was, and I said, this, you know, this isn't okay. Uh, I think I need us to know how much damage we're doing, and I need us to be able to offset that through planting trees. So I put it to everybody. Are you as interested in forestry as I am? Like Ireland's got an unfair advantage, the Brits chopped them down, and we can offset uh, carbon, uh our own carbon we can become carbon negative and everyone was like yeah let's do this so we've been putting money aside we're in the process of buying land like we went out in april and planted 200 trees we planted a micro forest everyone said it was the best day we ever had went to a pub drank guinness um it was brilliant so what, what we're trying to do now is for ourselves we want to become carbon negative and then once we've got the processes in place um, we're in the process of Becoming a charity. So we've set up Wolfgang Forestry as a separate organization. So we can then help any organization that wants to do the same do it. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. So it's just a matter I'm making the plan now and figuring out how I give time to that. Oh, and so again, I'm delegating more of my digital marketing company stuff to other people and figuring out how I can I, I can apply time to that. So it's like it's, it's not unlike the sex shop. It's like it's just following a curiosity. It's like this seems fun. I'd love to learn more about it. I'd find a lot of meaning in doing it. Um, on my day off this week, which was yesterday, me and my mate went down to Tumna Fwinega Woods and we went camping. Uh, so I slept there two nights ago, um, and it was deadly. Me and Andy, yeah, and he was teaching me Wim Hof method. Do you know the Wim Hof method, um, no? So we were in the for- we were doing yoga in the forest and standing in the stream, and he was teaching me the Wim Hof method out yeah, in the forest. he's of who's
0: probably going to appear uh, here as well after what he's achieved recently. So we'll get to know Andy. Yeah. What I'm interested in finding out Al, is, because we talk about purpose and the mm-hmm. big word that came yeah. out today was meaningful, yeah. and that's a word you used, right? So it's, it, it's meaningful for you and the guys on your yeah. team in your company to do this work, right, around, yeah. around forestry. What I'm interested in, do you, have, do you have kind of a career purpose written down?
1: I wonder that, if I do. So I guess what I want, uh, is I want Wolfgang to be a brand that straddles lots of industries. So forestry is just the next one um, in lots of countries and to be recognized for excellence and being a bit bold. And um, Like been really good to their sake, great place to work, great place to do business with, you know, expert at what they do, independent thinking, a little bit bold. So mo- that's my overarching thing. And that gets tested. So we've spoken about this. Like that gets every now and then someone, if you, if you want to build a business to sell it, build an advertising business because the whole industry is, that's how it works, is the big guys only remain big by buying the small guys. It's a race to buy the small guys. So every so often someone comes and tries to make me a millionaire uh, and I always say no. And I didn't even, I, 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 it took about three or four goes at saying no till I even understood why I was saying no. It was really guttural, if that makes sense. Like the first time, like nothing. Like myself and, and my, my girlfriend and my wife, she was pregnant. We lived in a basement flat. Like at three o'clock in the afternoon, you'd turn all the lights on in the living room to see each other. Um, you know, we, our, we you know our holidays were you know I ran out of money on holiday and we had to borrow money off her sister. And um, this is how we lived. Yet somebody was prepared to make me nearly a millionaire at that point for for, for my business. Um, and I said no. Make the thought that I felt sick. I was there no way. So just there, and then it burns so much energy, as there, no, no, no. And then that, that'll keep coming back. So every time someone comes and says, so there was a French company earlier this year, um, and that would have been multi-millions, that would have nearly gone north of 10 million, I'd say. Now, not just me, I've given lots of the company away to the people at the top. Um, but very large amounts of money. And every time it comes along, you're always like, okay, I have to entertain this. And then you think about your life, and I've got kids, and you think about your future, and you go, do I still really love this? Like, do, do, do I really, really love it, like more than being a multimillionaire? Um, and then I go, well, why am I doing it? Like, I, I love what I do. I love who I do it with. If I'm ever falling out of love with it, I can change it. Like, I can reshape the output of the organization. I can go off on a new project. I can reshape my day to day. Whereas to go and work for someone else, like, because that's what happens, by the way, if you sell your company, you have to work for them for three years to get all your money. And I was there now, like, I feel like, I'm, I feel like the life of a millionaire because I'm in charge of what I do. And my overarching ambition is to have Wolfgang cross multiple industries, multiple brands. And that gets tested because someone says, well, why don't you just take all the money? But I genuinely believe like, what do you think, right? Who's more likely to achieve that dream? This lone person with millions in the bank or the person with like a brilliant digital marketing company, loads of potential leaders for their next businesses um, and money, you know, not millions, but money coming out of the digital marketing company. Like, I don't know what you think, but I certainly feel like I'm closer to the bigger picture by not taking the money and just keep going as I'm going, doing the stuff I love.
0: So that's absolutely astounding, right? But it, to me, I bring that back to the kick in the nuts upon kick in the nuts <laughs> that you got, Yeah. and you have a sense that no matter so in, in negative circumstances, you know that this is still going to pay off and this is still good because my lead measures are in place. Mm. And so that's a test. That's a test. Am I on the right track still despite these negative events happening? But then you get a positive event. Hey, how about 10 million quid? And you are applying the same test. Yeah. No, hang on. I'm st- this is still going in the right direction for me. This is the still, uh, still going to pay off. This is still going to come good. And that's really important. Your core values are tested mm. in positive and negative ways all the time, and that's how you know. Uh, you know, and that's that process of uncovering and chipping away to get a really refined picture of what's really important. So that's amazing, Al. Thank you. Like to share that story with us. I'm I'm so glad you did. It's it's a great jumpstart. You're the very first. Uh, special guest for Career (laughs) Love my pleasure and it was an absolute ripper yeah I'm so thrilled delighted (laughs) yeah I really enjoyed it
1: thanks very much for for all that time
0: Um, guys I really hope you enjoyed it would you please thank Alan thank you okay guys that's the end of our four part series with Alan Coleman hope you enjoyed it And I hope you uh, found it useful. I hope you found something in there that you can use as you go in and develop your own career. My big thanks to Alan for um, allowing us to record that interview way back in the day. Um, Coming up next, we have a fantastic interview with Luke O'Reilly. Luke is a freelance advertising creative here in Dublin and a good buddy of mine. Um, and I just can't wait for you to hear what he's got to say. His career story is fascinating and hilarious and inspiring. And here's a little sneaky, sneaky peek. Yeah, okay. And and no great understanding or appreciation for what the college experience was going to be like or even really what, what it was going to lead to? No. Okay. And so what was...
2: What was your world, your bubble then at, at, that, at that point? I'll, I'll be honest. I, I genuinely didn't think. my I had, a, I had a strange mentality growing up and I didn't see myself really pretty much getting past 20. I just didn't see that happening. Like this is, this is you know, this is true. Like I, I didn't see myself getting past the age of 20. Nineteen really. Okay. I had in my head nineteen.
0: Why why is that? What what's the mind the framework or the mindset around I fucking have no idea. Short life.
2: I've no idea. It was just something Um, that you thought about. That was just something that I thought was pretty much guaranteed. I'm out of here when I'm nineteen and I you know I fucking dunno why. Okay. So I never so I never so why would I have to think past that? Was was my attitude. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I
0: don't have enough psychology training to get on and <laughs> exactly, that one. but, like so, this, this but that's a, a thing for you, yeah, right? Yeah. So you saw yeah. whatever the whatever the triggers or reasons or whatever might be there, right? Yeah, like I'm sure that's a fascinating place yeah. for someone professional to go, right? Absolutely.
2: But, like it, I, I don't know. It like obviously in my mind it was like a kind of a death thing, mm. it, but you know that's how I was experiencing it. it. Could have been in my mind for some reason. I thought, well, you get to 19 and then something else happens and you get. Yeah, you know, but you don't worry about that. Yeah. I don't
0: know, you're like okay, so it, but that's interesting, right? So for most people, yeah, you get to 19 and something else does happen. Yeah, like you either go to college <laughs> or you don't, and you go, you find your way, and there is like you're leaving school <laughs> and there's a big transition. And yeah. if whatever way was playing out for you, it, it the thinking around it was it's as equal to death. Yeah, right. Absolutely, 100. So like this journey yeah. is finishing.
2: Yeah. So yeah, you, put down whatever you want to my sea hill there, like. <laughs> Because it doesn't really matter. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have, you, have you heard this one already?
0: <laughs> okay, folks, that's it for episode four. We will see you again in episode five. I hope you're enjoying whatever you're up to. Talk to you again soon. All the best.